0: Hello and welcome. I truly have so much respect for today's guest, Liz Kelly. She's the host of the Home to Her podcast, and I promise you could listen to her voice all day. I know I could. I love this episode because Liz really gives this authentic and beautifully told story about her own sacred remembering journey, remembering the feminine and awakening as a businesswoman to these concepts of the feminine, but at first she didn't even know that it was the feminine that she was finding or that was finding her. Um, And then this is also what Liz calls a her historical perspective of the ancient feminine lineage, which a lot of listeners have actually been asking for. So this is sure to ignite your sacred remembering journey Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Hello, and welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast, the place for modern women who are waking up to the truth of who they are. I'm your host, Sarah Poet. Women are healing from outdated paradigms, and we are rising. And we're not doing it by fighting or further depleting ourselves anymore. We are doing it by remembering who we are and standing in that unified truth. Here, we remember together through stories, tools, and curiosity. And in doing so, we bring forward the place of women in our modern world. Visit SarahPoet.com today for tools for your feminine, masculine awakening journey and to schedule mentorships and couples coaching with me directly. Now, let's begin.
1: Hello, it's Sarah
0: Poet. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be speaking with you and I'm having a little inspiration as I um, get this episode ready and just want to do a little educational piece here up front. Um, Liz and I did a podcast together on her podcast called Home to Her and she asked me a question about feminine masculine balance and that came up in this episode too. And I'm asked all the time about feminine and masculine balance. I should probably do an entire podcast episode on this, but this is, this is just coming through today. And so I'm going to, um, speak to this for just a minute. So is there a space for us as women who are reclaiming both feminine and masculine to explore balance? Absolutely. There is right. So, Liz is going to talk about being a high-powered businesswoman and operating in a masculine tendency in this episode. I know about that. I bet you know about that as a woman. And so when we start to realize this, oh my gosh, there's this thing called the feminine and there's this thing called the masculine and Um, I have both in me. And what does that even mean? You know, we can practice certain um, behavioral components, like the archetypal energies of feminine and masculine balance. And that concept, um, you know, conceptually helps us to reintegrate. But I want to take us also beyond that, like, I want to stretch this conceptual understanding beyond that, because ultimately, this journey is, you know, it's physical, it's emotional, it's mental, and it's spiritual. And what we're going for, you know, ultimately, is actually the reunification of feminine and masculine inside of us, reunification. So that means that we are healing the separation paradigm through us. So way beyond, you know, behaviors, way beyond, um, like, you know, tit for tat and polarity, we're getting into, well, how do these two actually work? together how how do they exist um beyond polarity so yes the the feminine is intuition and rest and we talk about that right and then the masculine is you know logic and structure and we talk about that Those are really helpful conceptualizations of what these archetypal energies are. And yes, we begin to dance with those and we practice those throughout our day and we practice the polarity in relationships, but, you know you're going to hear me talking about this more and more. Um, you know, this walk is really about sovereignty. If you listen to this podcast, you hear me talk about energetic sovereignty, how your sovereign, your energy is your own, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so that to me, that path back to sovereignty, um, is a reunification path. Because I cannot, as a woman, I cannot um, be sovereign if I'm like projecting, you know, my desires of the masculine outside of myself, you know, onto a man or onto society, right? Or if I'm still projecting my anger um, outside of myself, it's like, um, I need to be responsible with these energies within me. Um, and for a long time, it was almost as if I was kind of, you know, bouncing back and forth and, and my structure and flow offering is really good for that stage of the game. Like when you are practicing a, you know, theoretical balance between the energy of structure and flow can really, really help with that. And so you might be like, Oh no, I'm using a feminine energy. Oh no, I'm using a masculine energy. And that's awesome. It's like all on the path. And then there's a point where they're not separate anymore. And you know, so in my daily life, like, yes, I can pick out like when I'm using a masculine essence energy or when I'm using a feminine essence energy. And yet I'm not, um, always in that either or and there's a lot of really beautiful and blissful heartfelt energy that is the reunification of both in the body and both in the psyche and both you know spiritually So, I I just wanted to say that today and invite you to explore, you know, your relationship, your conceptualization of this concept of balance, and then also, um, you know, where these two are beginning to have a unified relationship in you. And if that's something that you want to explore further, you can contact me for what I'm calling the Sovereignty Sessions. Sovereignty sessions are available at SaraPoet.com backslash sessions. And you are welcome to schedule this as a new client. If you have not worked with me before, and you would like um, a a taste of that one on one um, action that private clients get, this is for you. So at any part of your journey, when you feel that your power has been, you know, taken, or you're really wanting to become more sovereign, more in charge of your own energy. Um, At any point on this path, you can schedule at sarahpoet.com backslash sessions. I'm going to give you a coupon code. Are you ready for $75 off? Use all caps code intuition. And I will see you there. Hello, Liz. Welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. Hi, thank you. It's so great to have you here. I feel like you're a sacred feminine expert and we are all Mm. probably in for a treat today.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I get a little like expert. Well, it'll be fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Someone said um, to me the, the term
1: subject expert
0: the other day and I'm like, well, that we are. I do
1: like that. Yeah. I do like that. Yeah, I get a little hung up on on mastery language sometimes. You know, right. like what we're what we're trying to convey there. But I do right. like that. Yeah, yeah. It's I like so that. very patriarchal. What it you is, the
0: masters.
1: <laughs> I, it is. It really is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I'm so glad to have you here. I, I met you on the Wild Feminine course yes. through Deviya and uh, loved what you had to say. I'm going to read your bio in just a moment, but. I also want to center the conversation saying that like so many women have reached out to me recently asking for even historical her historical information on sacred feminine and like I, you know when we when we first start to crack open and um the awakening to oh my gosh there's so much more that like we weren't told that was covered up all of those things and um the deep dive into the remembrance of who she is and so I feel like you and this podcast are the answer to to so many of those inquiries that I've had recently um because a lot of my work has been around um feminine and masculine and like the the exchange of energetics and uh, you know making those conscious again, like conscious feminine, conscious masculine. And so I'm really excited for this conversation
1: today. Oh, me too. Me too. And this is one of my favorite things to talk about, the historical record. So um, I sometimes joke that I get really excited and a little intense when people want to talk about it because I'm so thrilled, you know, I'm like, wait, but I learned this and I learned this. So you can always tell me like, slow down a little bit. (laughs)
0: No problem. No problem. Let me read your bio and then we'll, (laughs) we'll dive right in. Um, And yeah, I'll always say that any woman is always welcome to say whatever she wants to on this (laughs) podcast and in my spaces, so take it away. Um, Liz Childs Kelly is a writer, sacred feminine researcher, an educator, community builder, and an initiated priestess in the 13 Moons lineage, and the host of the Home to Her podcast, which is dedicated to amplifying the voices of the sacred feminine. She's also a yoga instructor with certifications in vinyasa and yin yoga, as well as a level three certified Reiki practitioner. Her first book titled Home to Her, Walking the Transformative Path of the Sacred Feminine, who I just got chills, will be published with Woman Craft Publishing in November of 2022. Congrats. And Liz lives in rural Virginia with her husband, two children and their dog. Congrats on the, the book. It's finished. Mm. Is it finished?
1: Uh, I've got about five minutes worth of edits, final edits to do and, um, you know, just triple checking some things. And, and then it will be in the process of, you know, whatever has to happen on the publishing side to bring it to life. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty wild. Thank you. Congrats. Yes. You. A huge Thank accomplishment.
0: You. Thank you. So um, I love to start with personal journeys yeah. a little bit. Like we know that you're passionate about the history of the sacred feminine. Do you always say her story? And he does not say history in this.
1: I kind of go back and forth, but I okay, do say okay. her story a lot just okay. to kind of call our attention to the fact that it really is history is what we're talking about most of the time is his story. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So you have walked
0: in this path to like recovering her story. Um, And I just trust that there is such a personal story that goes with that. So um, would you introduce us to your sacred remembering journey and waking up to um,
1: her? Yeah, I would love to. Thank you for asking. Um, I think at this point, it's been about, you know, it was around this time uh, about eight years ago. I, um, I feel like there's a very definitive um, before and after when the sacred feminine came roaring into my life. Although we know that life doesn't really work that way, right? Like I think she'd been knocking on the door uh, for years, maybe my whole life. And I just didn't know it. Um, But the one that was like loud, you know, happened about eight years ago. And at the time I owned my own consulting company, company, I lived in San Francisco. I had spent the last however many years really focused on building my um, business career. And um, I had poured all my energy into this consulting company that I had created. And um, it, we did like human resources consulting for tech and, lifestyle and life sciences and um, financial services, companies, large companies. And um, I, was, I was all in. I was all in to that career. And I really thought uh, the way that I was doing it was in a feminine way. I really did. I, all mm-hmm. of my employees were female um, just by the nature of the work and human resources and communications. Most of my clients were females. I um, We were funding um, a girl scholarship in the Bay Area, and I was on the board of a women's nonprofit. And so I was like, rah, rah, female power. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't understand. I know you're going to smile and you're going to get this. I didn't understand that I was doing this in an extremely masculine way. I didn't get yeah. that there was any other way to be. I, I really felt like because these doors hadn't been open for the most part to my mother and definitely my grandmother, that my job as a good feminist and as a woman was to use my brain and to get in there and to show that I could play with the boys too. And I was all in, all in. And then I went to this business conference one day and it was a women's business conference and there were 5,000 people there. And what they do at these giant business conferences is the big corporate sponsors pay a lot of money, and then they send all their execs to it. And all the execs get to sit in the front rows. And then the people that own their own business have to pay for the cheap seats in the back. So it was all the way in the back. But I was there because I was going to network, and I was going to win us some more big clients. And this woman uh, was one of the first speakers of the day. She came on the stage, and her name was Dr. Elizabeth Kapuolani-Lindsay, She's a Native Hawaiian, the first Native Hawaiian National Geographic Explorer, or a National Geographic Fellow. And she was talking about Indigenous wisdom, which really doesn't have anything to do with the business world. Um, and she was just supposed to be, I think, they she was an intro to Ariana Huffington, who was going to be like our big keynote speaker. right? But she started talking about these people uh, that she called the Wayfinders. They were these master... Navigators from Polynesia who sailed, her ancestors who sailed thousands of miles between the Polynesian islands without any of the instrumentation that Europeans assumed that you needed. They didn't have compasses, they didn't have any of that stuff. And they did it by being so in tune with nature. And also, she said, in tune with their own hearts. And she didn't use the language intuition, but That's what she was talking about, I think. And when she said this, something happened to me and I've tried to make this less dramatic. It's just, it is, it was a dramatic experience for me. My whole body started getting hot from my feet all the way up to the top of my head, not in a bad way. felt really nice. And the whole room just started like it was like it was vibrating or shimmering or something and then she sounded like she was talking to me like down a tunnel and uh so i could barely hear her anymore like just everything went sideways and nothing like this had ever happened to me nothing and i had a meditation practice and i you know i i had my spiritual practices and but i hadn't had anything like this and i remember looking at the woman beside me like is this happening to you like it was just so Wild and, and no one, everyone else is just staring. Um, but I knew in that moment that this was important. That it was it was a very much a before and after moment in my life. And you know, if it were a movie, you would say I just I quit my job immediately and like ran off and you know. It, but I didn't know what to do. I just knew that I needed to start learning about these Polynesian navigators. Um, if anybody's seen the movie Moana, which pr- You know, I love. I don't know how accurate it is and true to the Hawaiian culture, but um, um,
0: there's there's this one song in Moana, like I've been standing on the island, like looking at the ocean. You know that song, like the midair song. It was such a part of my feminine awakening, actually. Like, oh, I love that thing about that song.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, I love that. Well, uh, yeah, uh, that whole movie to me is just a beautiful sacred feminine exploration. But this was at least three or four years before that movie came out. Yeah. So I didn't know really what I was looking for, but I became very obsessed with learning first about these wayfinders. And that kind of took me down this uh, rabbit hole of indigenous wisdom and learning about shamanic traditions around the world. And I was like obsessed. Like I just, mm-hmm. I couldn't let it go. I I just could not stop reaching for information. And I remember I would be reading something at night before I went to bed, and I would be wide awake, like so into this, and I just fall asleep. And I swear it was like my brain was rewiring itself because what I was learning was something that I think we've really lost, especially um, those of us who live in cultures that are dominated by like uh, white European values. That there's a whole different way to be in the world that is not. Necessarily linear and rational um, and logical. There's a whole there's a whole play of mysticism and intuition that can be part of our lives. And I think my brain needed rest, honestly. And I think it was rewiring itself for me to understand that you two can be in the world in a different way. And at the same time, I knew that, or else I wouldn't have had such a dramatic reaction. It was obviously to use your language, a sacred remembering. Like that was a huge. Yeah sacred remembering moment like, and
0: activation into like the soul like there's so yeah. much depth in who we are and then there are these moments in modern culture that ping us like yes to know more about that you need to know more about that and so i I love and I did the same thing like we reach for books right, right. and you're an author like I want to be an author <laughs> I think so much wisdom does come from books obviously we put down what we learn um, but yeah the the I was an academic. And so like what I knew to do was look for books and, um, you know, it was one of the questions I was going to ask you later, but I'm going to actually ask you now, um, about the, like the practices that we come to learn. So first we go to books and we're like looking for all the information and our brains are rewiring. And then on your journey, what was the, um, like what started to embody what other practices mm. um, did you come to or awaken to or
1: awoken through you um, to engage with the sacred feminine? Yeah, I, I, <sighs> It's a good question I the first one that I can really remember um, was going much much deeper into my yoga practice and the whole reason that I wanted to become certified was not so much because I wanted to teach yoga but was because I knew I there was that it was teaching me about how to get in my body and fully in my body and, and that that started Anchoring some of this stuff in me. The other thing that happened, you know, there was a whole period of time where it was about a year or so. I think it took a year and a half between when that happened and when I decided to sell my company and just let go. Um, but there were all of these things that started percolating even before I knew that I needed practices. And one was I would drive to work. And I would drive, there was this back way that I could go to work through, um, through regional forest land. And this urge to get out of my car and run into the woods would be so strong. Sometimes I could barely keep driving. Like I had to, I had to go. Mm -hmm. And I got to a point where I started honoring that. Like I would go to work, but I would time it on the way back and I would stop and I would go and sit in the woods and just be. And I didn't know what I was doing or why, but I knew that I needed, I needed it. I needed to be there. And so that embodiment thing that you, Bokav, which is so sacred feminine to me um, is also really deeply connected for me th- to my relationship with nature and the land. And, yes. and so I think I was anchoring myself to the land in a way that I didn't even understand yet.
0: Ooh, I just got chills. Yes. And I love how you describe that, the, the words that you chose to use about like the urge and not knowing why you needed to do it. And, um, I love when we begin um, honoring that as women, you know, I just looked up and I have, uh, like an altar of sorts in front of where I'm recording this and on the altar is a rock. And I was, um, speaking of like things we do that we don't know why we need to do them. Um, I had just taken the name Poet, which was like the name yeah. of my soul. And then I was in a river, like baptizing myself, which just happened to be an instruction at this retreat that I was at. Like, you know, in my and, and all of the instructions to change my name formally like came just before that retreat. And then we had to baptize ourselves and I was like, oh, amazing. And I'm in the river and I put my hand down and there's a rock. And it was like, I had to put it in my mouth. Like, like I, I have no idea why, but like, I had to put it under my tongue. And then like, I'm like sucking on the, uh, the rock taste and the mineral taste, you know, like how earthy, you know, I was like, I yes. wanted it in every single way. And so you said, uh, you don't know why you have to do these things. And I look up and I see this rock and I'm like, I don't know why I needed to put it in my yeah. mouth. <laughs> that I did like in my baptism. Um,
1: So we just, we honor it. Right. That's what I was going to say. And isn't that part of the sacred feminine is like honoring that you don't need to know, that maybe you'll never know, know, or maybe you'll Mm -hmm. get... 10 different reasons why you had to do that over the course of your lifetime that will slowly unfold as part of your journey. Yeah. And maybe none of them will still be the full complete picture and it's okay.
0: Yeah. And it's okay. Like to um, honor the mystery is also yeah. such such a part of the sacred feminine.
1: So, yes. uh, mm-hmm. well, and I, and I wanted to say too, that, it, so it, all of that, that was happening for me, I. I didn't realize that that was the feminine though. Like none of that. Okay. I didn't know that's what I was doing yet. I didn't understand any of this. I really didn't. None of it really clicked that this were specifically talking about a feminine force because the stuff that I was reading, first of all, the indigenous wisdom that I was reading, I really have to be honest and say that it was written mostly by um. Americans, like white Americans of European descent. Right. And like anthropologists are, who had yes. studied the people. Yeah. Yes. And I think they had good intentions. And I think it really did activate me. It gave me what I needed. Um, However, it wasn't written from a purely indigenous perspective. And that's, I think that's an important distinction to make. And in those books, at least as I recall, I wasn't getting anything specifically spelled out as the feminine. I was getting like this relationship with nature and, um, different ways to to have relationship with time and no words or concepts for material wealth and things like that. But there was nothing specific to the feminine. Um, But through all of this, I was, I was pregnant for the second time with my child, my son. And when he was born, that seemed Mm. to be like the second piece of the puzzle because that was a very embodied experience Uh, Mm. and awful and painful, but also beautiful And I would remember being so in my body in a very challenging way, but also understanding that there was this tremendous amount of wisdom that was moving through my body Mm -hmm. that I didn't actually have to do anything except get out of its way. Like I -hmm. just needed to surrender to it and let it do what it's been doing for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, I felt this beautiful connection back just through time to everyone who's given birth before Mm. and that was really what made me go huh like where's where's the feminine then because I went back to some of the books I was reading after that experience and it just clicked one day I'm like nobody's naming nobody's naming the feminine why is that and then it was sort of like all these little pieces kind of falling in like, well, wait a minute. The God that I learned about as a child was a man. And uh, everybody, everybody's books that I'm picking up right now, they've been written by men. And all of the preachers that I learned from were men. And even the spiritual teachers that I had who taught me about Buddhism, et cetera, have been men. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're not going to talk about the spiritual nature of childbirth because they've never experienced it. They can't tell me about it. Mm-hmm. And that was another, so that was kind of the second piece where I'm like, wait a minute. First, I was deeply, I mean, I think the right word is hurt. I felt betrayed because mm. I felt like I'd suddenly heard from the, like these people had suddenly told me like, yeah, you're important, but you're not that important. You know, you're part of a universal he, you were included in our experiences, you know, when I really wasn't. Yeah. But then after that, I got really pissed. I mm-hmm. was like... I don't know. Can I curse? Is that okay? I was like, oh yes. I was like, this is, this is bullshit. This is no, there's no way this is, there is no way that this is right. Mm -hmm. And I think for somebody who's grown up in like a different tradition, like let's say you grew up in India and you were surrounded by the divine mother, everywhere you go, you'd be like, of course. But for me, having been raised as a Southern Baptist and Mm -hmm. And even then, you know, entering the business world, which is very secular, you're not supposed to care about religious stuff, you know, like for me, it was just, it was very revelatory to know. And that's, it was a knowing there's a divine feminine. I don't need to see it in a book. I know that's exactly what's been happening to me. And that is who set me on fire at the business conference. It was not a thing, just a random entity. It was her. Mm -hmm. And so then I had to figure out who she was,
0: you know? Yeah. So then you, uh, then you began researching. So you went like, you went for origins. You were like, yes, God as she, God as her. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk to us about that?
1: Well, I, at the time I didn't know, I, I just, I, I was coming at it from more of like a I don't know, philosophical standpoint is the right way, but definitely an intellectual point of like, there's got to be at some point in our history, a time when people knew the divine to be feminine. It makes no sense to me, especially these indigenous traditions that I've been reading where they're talking about all of life is sacred. Well, then surely at somewhere, at some point in our history, there was a time when we knew the feminine as sacred. And I think, even my thinking then was my people. Cause I think mm. even at that point I was vaguely aware. I didn't know much about um, other traditions outside of my own, I, but I was aware that there were goddesses in Hinduism, for example. So I think the inquiry was really there, there has to have been in my ancestral lineage somewhere way back. Mm. There was an understanding of the divine feminine. And then I just, I, I knew that I needed to find it. And it was going to be an academic hunt for me at first, which makes sense because, I mean, you, you talked about being an academic. I was coming out of the business world where everything, mm-hmm. you're proving your ROI, like you're, you know, you're not going to do something unless you're getting something out of it. You've got to have proof. And so I wanted my proof. And I think I wanted it as justification for myself too, which I don't need as much anymore, but I wanted, mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to hold it up and go, but I'm not crazy this is real. No, this is real. This is real. Look, look, this is real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: I, I think it it makes total sense and it's both. And to know that there were these ancient, um, you know, entire cultures entire, you know, like periods of time where God was, you know, her or woman or, um, I, it does provide a lot of comfort and something that we can, um, like, bring to present and and um, is the word like assimilate? You know, like, what do we want to do with that in the modern world? You know, like, you know, how do we bring that forward as well? I imagine um, you've quested for that for that answer for yourself as well.
1: So yeah, yeah. I think um, I was just gonna say I think for me, well, it, you you kind of summed it up, but I think for me, it's not so much. We're obviously not going backwards, you know, and we can we can rage against the patriarchy all we want, and I'm a hundred percent supportive of that. And I am sitting in my electrically lit, very comfortable home. Uh, you know, as a result of, I mean, there's, you know, people are living longer. There's a lot that you could say that has happened under the watch of patriarchal systems. We're not going backwards. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. we're not going back to um, a, a stone age or something. So it's not so much as like a, let's go back and reclaim something. No, we are where we are. But if we know that there are different stories than what we've been told, then we get to choose a different story for our future. We don't have to accept some story that's like, well, this is the way it's always been, which is frankly wrong. It's just not, it's not accurate. So, yeah.
0: yeah. So let's go into some of the, like, let's set the record straight a little yeah. bit, according to Liz Kelly, um. <laughs> Um, you know, so what we've been told is wrong. Can you speak more to that? And, um, you know, what did you find when you went back to look?
1: Yeah, well, I I think, and I don't know about you, what you learned in school, but what I learned in school that I remember is this idea that civilization, you know, started roughly about 5,000 thousand-ish years ago with the advent of writing systems, the ancient Greeks are who we should have up on a pedestal. They gave us uh, democracy. They gave us the foundation of our government. Um, and anything before that is just kind of like cavemen. They were, you know, crazy, simple, hairy beast running around and clubbing each other over the head. That was, I'm sure I didn't have any teacher that spelled it out like that, but that, yeah, <laughs> that was, that was how I processed it. And, um, you know, once I started looking, because to me, going back and finding the her story was even involved questioning the, the stories that I knew about our, our human origins. I mean, human beings have been humans for, in terms of brain function and capacity, maybe for as long as a hundred thousand years, maybe even longer. And so then to say, oh, but we're only interested in what happened in the last 5,000 years, kind of, I mean, gosh, that's like a drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think where I want to start with this. It, it, the the research that I think, I, at a baseline, I feel like people should know, is this archaeological findings from about 30,000 years ago. And as some people may know about these, some people may not. They're these Venus figurines, uh, a lot of People might have heard of. Um, but I think what's interesting with that, there were all of these figurines that were found all across Europe, uh, from a Siberia all the way down to the southern tip of Spain, and that have been dated tens of thousands of years apart. I don't know a lot about migrations of people. I have to imagine that people were moving back and forth. Um, but also, you know, they didn't live that long. They were probably also staying put. So it's interesting that these figurines have been found in such a large, space and also large span of time. And they're all women. They're all figurines of women. I wish I had one on my desk to show you right now, but I'd have to hop off camera to grab her. So I won't do that. Most of them are about this big. Um they're always naked. And you're doing like
0: three inches, like for for those not watching the video, like three to four inches. Okay.
1: Yeah, about three to four inches. They're always naked. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're not naked in the sense of like, if you think of Greek statues, usually you'll see a woman with her arm across her breast kind of modestly and her knees are glued together. You know, like she's, or she might even have a hand in front of her vulva so You don't see mm-hmm. her body. These women are not that their mm-hmm. body is proudly on display and not in any kind of sexual way. Like a lot of times these women look, they're large, their breasts sag. They look like they've fed children. Mm -hmm. Um, none of them have facial features and well, most of them don't. There's, there's been a couple that do, and then none of them have feet, which is really interesting. Their legs Mm -hmm. just kind of taper off. So they were probably made to be held in your hand. Um, I I have this theory that is based on nothing but my own hunch that they don't have feet because they were rooted to the earth. It's that connection Uh, to the earth that you could literally stick them in the ground to (laughs) for ceremonial purposes. Um, But what's interesting to me is there have been hundreds of these that have been found in Europe that date back 30, 40,000 years. Mm -hmm. And to make something like that requires skill. It requires brain power. It requires free time. To do it and to make them the same way across the span, where you're probably not seeing people that is practiced over and over again for 10,000, 20,000 years Mm -hmm. means they have symbolic significance, Mm -hmm. they are sacred, and we don't have to get caught up in the discussion of whether or not there's a goddess that's a very patriarchal lensing in my opinion, because now you're just talking semantics, right? And how that, How do we know exactly how people would have viewed it? But I think we can say very strongly that these are an example of the sacred feminine and that the sacred feminine was so important that she was made over and over and over again, mm-hmm. all across Europe. And you see this going forward as well. So there's examples of the sacred feminine that you see in African rock art that dates back 10,000 years, long before we've got plenty of evidence from Egypt as well. Mm -hmm. There are similar figurines that have some different characteristics that have been found in India that go back 10,000 years. And really, if you want to get technical about it, the oldest figurine ever thought to have been made by a human ancestor was found in Israel. And it's thought to be anywhere from 250,000 to Five hundred thousand years old, so made even Mm. before Neanderthals, and it too is a little figurine of a woman. Wow! Yes, I just this is so fascinating to me, and I, I, it, it kind of blows my mind that that more people don't know about this, and that there's not more curiosity, curiosity about why Mm -hmm. and how special, you know. Mm -hmm.
0: So you know, definitely five thousand years ago. We were in patriarchy. And then, yes. Would you say that the turn was like 10,
1: 11,000 years ago? Well, so there's a theory. Okay. So this is where I think it's interesting to have this conversation from a bigger picture because there is a theory that agriculture, the advent of agriculture, is what started pushing us towards these. uh, You see, you see societies get more violent, and you also see hand in hand a rise of more. Patriarchal father god, you see, the divine feminine um, kind of becomes a consort to a god, or then eventually she just gets demoted altogether and demonized. And there's actually creation stories that tell of her overthrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, by Greece, I mean, by Greece,
0: like that was like patriarchy was well established in the stories.
1: It was. However, their neighbors over in Crete, Menno and Crete, uh, were able to hold on to the divine feminine for quite mm-hmm. a while after, mm-hmm. you know, Greece had already turned towards this more warlike patriarchal mm-hmm. society, which is really interesting. But uh, this is what I was going to say. I get uncomfortable with a really solid timeline because mm-hmm. if you look, for example, in the Americas and you read indigenous American stories, uh, they had an experience of the sacred feminine, they have an understanding of the sacred feminine. They didn't lose it until colonizers showed up three, 400 years ago. And even now, we, they, I can't say that they've lost it, but she wasn't really threatened as much until colonizers got here. You see that in South America too, in Mexico with Guadalupe, who is known as an incarnation, or she's a apparition of the Virgin Mary, but really she is... I mean, I think known by any indigenous Mexicans to be Tenanson, who was a goddess that existed before uh, colonizers showed up there. And her story, you know, I mean, Guadalupe showed up about 500 years ago. So I get a little bit uncomfortable with trying to put like a solid timeline on it. It does seem like there was this percolation that was happening at some point you know, around that tie somewhere between 10,000 and 5,000 years ago in the Middle East. And then that filtered out and Christianity certainly carried it forward with much gusto. Um, But I think it, that has as much to do with how patriarchy spawned colonization. You know what I mean? And how it thank spread you. out. Yes. Yes. Thank you.
0: So, th- yes, it's not one timeline swiping across the world. Yeah. It's... Like it's hand in hand with the timeline of colonialism. Yes.
1: Yes. yes. I like to think of, um, I like to think of colonization and racism. These are like all the evil spawns of patriarchy <laughs> It's to yes. us a whole lot of terrible things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And
0: yes, I mean, pretty systematically took out the feminine.
1: It did. Yeah. Yeah. Along with, you know, any. You know, anything that, yeah, anybody who wasn't deemed in their very small hierarchy at the top. Right.
0: Because, I mean, going back to what you were saying about agriculture, as I might understand it, it, it's like, well, if you're going to own land, then you kind of also, if if you're a patriarch and you want to own land, you also have to own the women. Because the women are going to bear the children that then inherit the land and the wealth that you're accumulating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And... Um, I think it, Gerda Lerner, who wrote the creation of patriarchy, it's a, it's a book that came out in the sixties or so. It's it's really good, um, and she offered a theory uh, that uh, women um, were the first examples of property. Yes. And her theory was that uh, it may have even been consensual at some point. There may have been a trading of uh because women would have been knowledge keepers uh women were not exclusively but you know i don't think we can say anything exclusively but uh if you were a woman with a child on your back for example it was far easier for you to gather food as opposed to um go out for long periods of time and hunt if you've got to take care of children and so uh women probably cultivated plants and the knowledge of plants first and the understanding of medicinal plants and and plants for food and that knowledge. would have given them value. And so Mm -hmm. they may in fact have been traded between tribes, you know, and they may have willingly gone because they could take their expertise elsewhere. But somehow over time, this came to be understood as ownership, property ownership, this woman. And also if she's young and strong, she can bear children and you need healthy children to keep on, keep your tribe going. Mm -hmm. But that somehow over time, this shifted into property. Like she Mm -hmm. became known as property and women were the first slaves. Mm -hmm. And then that that practice of slavery just started spreading out and agriculture made it worse because now you're this phone literally never rings. I'm so sorry.
0: (laughs) That's okay. I'll pause it.
1: Yeah. I, so um, I was talking about Gerda Lerner and women. Oh, women is uh, yeah. So if you've got agriculture uh, it's you're producing more than you can eat in one shot. Right. So now you've got to store it. Now you've got to hoard it. Now you've got to protect it. And also, the more land you have, the more you can produce, but you can't produce it as one person. So now you need more people to work that land. Mm -hmm. And, hey, isn't it great if this tribe that's trying to attack you, you can just capture all their strong men and you don't want them to attack you again. So you'll just enslave them and they'll work your property. I'm probably way oversimplifying that, but that is like kind of the thought. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of sacred remembering here and and like the pings that we have, I'm listening to this and in college I was studying anthropology and I was, I did all of these, um, I ended up designing my own major after Hmm. like having and losing my, my daughter. Right. So there's this huge sacred feminine awakening through that. And then, um, but I didn't know it was the feminine. But then I designed my own major at Penn State to study agriculture, like and sustainable agriculture. And I was studying the role of women. Mm. But I was, and I knew, like intuitively, I knew like the women have the connection with the land. And I was all about like food and resource sustainability. Um, but I was studying like so many women's studies courses and um, so that's just interesting to remember yeah. right now is as, as you're saying that and like when i look at what i was interested in i was not connecting the dots but i was interested yeah. in this and now my my work is so focused on like women awakening at work like what you started talking about yeah. and women's energy and our sacred land connections and there's just so much here in the reclamation because um because we're so innately tied to the land and yes she is like in the land and these yes. like feminine currents are in the land, and so as we awaken, like there are actually energy meridians like within our body, within our energy body, and then within the earth body as well. And so, um, yeah, the all of the systematic like diversion or we could say siphoning, you know, of her energy. Um, like this is this is the time that we all came to say no more, yeah, no more. We're, um, taking it back. So I, I just love imagining, you know, like your souls, your oversoul, your history, your, her story of like Liz Kelly coming to the planet right now to like go back and get all of this information and bring it forward. And, and, um, Oh, write a book yeah. on it, you know. It's just it's so beautiful and timely, and in, in the whole scheme of things, in the great mystery. Oh yeah,
1: you know yeah. it's so funny you said that, and I'm like I had this lovely vision of like you know whoever, if I've got guides or whoever's cheering for me on the other side when I'm yeah. done here, being like you figured it out, you heard great. us, <laughs> way <Where'd> to <it> go.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so I, I love it, I love it, and um, yeah, all of the clues
1: are kind of there. Along the way? Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, once I started really looking back, I'm like, oh no, I was headed towards this. Like, when I was in my early 20s, I had this obsession. (laughs) I wanted to be a nun. I wanted so badly to be a Mm, nun. And I, I wanted to be close to God. I wanted to be close to God and I wanted to study. And I was inspired by the stories of female Christian mystics and this direct relationship with God. I had zero interest in the Catholic church. I had zero interest in any of that formal ritual, which would have made being a nun difficult. I recognized that pretty quickly, <laughs> but I really wanted to, I wanted to be like a, a, a nun of the woods or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like Maria yeah. in the sound of music. Yeah. 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 Let's go run around up on the hills of Switzerland. Yeah. Right. Oh gosh, I love that. <laughs> now, now you're, um, you know, the, you're bringing back the sacred and rural
1: Virginia. I know. Right. We need it everywhere. <laughs> we do. Mm-hmm. We do.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything else about that, um, intersectional conversation that, that you're passionate about right now that you'd like to bring forward, because I think, um, we don't unfortunately talk about that much on this podcast. You and I are two yeah. white women, and so yeah. um, it's an area where we can definitely bring in more wisdom.
1: Yeah, I think for me, I actually wrote, um, I wrote a version of my book and finished it back in twenty nineteen, and um, kind of shopped it around and didn't really get anywhere with it. And then, uh, you know, just the pandemic hit, I kind of put it on the sidelines, and then. I came back and read it last year and I was just struck by what I felt like was a limited viewpoint. And I think as a white woman in America, especially Mm -hmm. with my, um, my ancestral lineage, I'm always going to have a limited viewpoint, you know, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how limited it was, uh, until I, I looked at it. And one of the things that I saw is that we, we tend to talk about, um, we tend to talk about her sacred history as kind of having this very clear timeline, like it started here and then and, and patriarchy killed her. And that denies the realities of a lot of indigenous people. It also denies the fact that the divine feminine is not, she's not dead to the world now, we might have opinions on how she shows up in different parts of the world, but that's 100% shaped on our own perception of who she is and how she should be. But I mean, for example, you know, there are uh, a billion people in India, which is the largest followers of Hinduism, right? And the divine feminine has been alive there for thousands of years and very powerful. The concept of Shakti, I mean, gosh, like she is the originating force, And this is true in traditions that come out of Africa as well. There are a lot of really powerful African Orishas, deities that are female and that are worshiped by hundreds of millions of people around the world. So to talk about her as dead is just, it's just inaccurate, first of all. And second of all, I think we get to learn something like how beautiful when we take that conversation intersectionally, we can say, okay, wait a minute, this picture is bigger than what I realized. And then we can also look around at living traditions and say, teach me, how have you kept her alive? Show me, I want to learn from you because my people really did destroy her or they did their best. They weren't very successful because Mary is absolutely an incarnation of the divine feminine in my opinion um, oh, yes. but a lot of people don't recognize
0: her as that oh we did an amazing podcast episode I just have to say for anyone mm-hmm. who hasn't listened to the it was the last one that we recorded in 2020 um, 20- 21. So like the Christmas episode of 2021, I think it's episode 110 or 109 um, with Marguerite Rigoloso. And if you don't know her mm. work, I really invite you to look at her work, but yeah. um, she is, she, her soul returned to the planet at this time, full chills right now to um, study miraculous conception and bring back the truth of Mary and miraculous conception and um, union with God. Right, So like, not only is there the sacred feminine, but like the sacred feminine incarnate who can actually Mm. co-create with the divine. And so, yes, I just wanted to invite you and listeners who haven't listened to that. It was a very special episode that we did last year. and, and very important work. So yes,
1: Mary, the um, the priestess. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> yes, I I have a very special relationship with Mary now, and I think I never would have thought that and that I would have that. I really was very. I'm done with you, Christianity. Yeah. I I cannot believe. And it's so blatant when you start to understand some of the older uh, symbolism and myths that are connected to the divine feminine, and then you look at the creation story of the Bible, for example, or <clears throat> the fact that, uh, if, I don't know if anybody who's listening is really close to the Bible, there's all, all of the references to bowing down to idols and these things called asherim. Those were just like, they changed the name of a goddess. Uh, she was a goddess, the Canaanite goddess, and the idols were... Were little little statues, like I described, you know, that weren't from thirty thousand years ago. But that practice was carried forward, and people would make these little goddesses to bless their hearth and home. And so the Judeo-Christian God is railing about her, and they went so far as to even try and hide that it was a she, that there could ever be a thing. As a she, even the apple, and you know, in the the symbolism of the apple, the apple has this huge connection to the divine feminine. The snake has this huge connection to the divine feminine. So, all that to say is, I was like, screw you, Christianity. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But another big part of the divine feminine to me has been reclaiming ancestral relationships and understanding myself as part of a lineage. And the truth is, my people are Christian. They, mm-hmm. I come from a Christian lineage and my grandfather actually visited me. He's long since dead, but came to me in meditation several years ago. And he put a crown of thorns on my head, which is a very Jesus symbol. And he said, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. If you reject all of this, then you are rejecting the wisdom that's in your veins. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how to do that in a way that doesn't kill my soul, but I will try because I love my granddad. And, uh, it it came out that it was Mary, you know, it was, it was, it's Mary. Um, Mm -hmm. because once you really start to understand her, she absolutely is the through line to the divine feminine of older traditions.
0: Yes. Ooh. Yes. Full chills. Yep. I know. I love, I I needed, I won't go through the story here. And I think we talked about it on the interview that I did for your podcast, that um, that lineage, that Christian lineage was huge for me, but also in the, like the reunification of of feminine and masculine, um, which is, which is what that was all about. So Liz, thank you so much. I want to start to wrap up, but I also want to give space for anything that we um, didn't talk about that, that is on your heart. Speaking Mm. of the heart, Mm. (laughs) the feminine heart where you started and um, where that speaker was referencing, like at, at your awakening moment, you know, she's talking about the heart.
1: Yes.
0: All roads lead home to the heart. I know I I'm
1: yeah. feeling into that. I don't know. I just feel very nourished by this conversation. I think I want to encourage, you know, anybody who's interested in her story. Um, and I don't know, Sarah, if you do show notes or anything, I, I'd be happy to give you some ideas of like maybe places where people could go and look, Great. but just to... Or, you don't even have to, you don't even have to be active. I think all you have to do is open yourself and she'll just start to show up in your world. I don't know yeah. if that's true for you, Sarah, but that's definitely been true for me. Like, you know, um, but I think yeah. knowing, knowing that if you are the kind of person that comes out of, which is all of us comes out of this very mm-hmm. linear logical world, you know, mm-hmm. and you want you want the factual proof in addition to what you feel in your body, all I have to tell you is it's, it is a hundred percent there. It's there. It's there. It's true. And it's real. And it's your birthright. And it's yours to connect to. Yeah.
0: I love that. I mean, not only is it there, it's like right there. Yeah, it's It's like who you are. Yes. You know, it's it's who you are and who you were all along. I think that's where sacred remembering kind of comes from because like the clues are on our own path. Yeah. And then those things that you want to know more about. You know, like that's why your soul incarnated. Like yes. go in that direction. Right? Yes. Yes. Um yeah, and then and then keep going. I think Recently, I want to name this too, like my journey is taking a turn, which I didn't um, expect like to go back to the topic of women and work, but I'm really being called in that direction to, mm-hmm. to work more with like female influencers. I don't even know what that means, but I know in my soul that that's the direction that I'm, um, meant to go. And it's interesting because source or God or she, or whatever we want to reference it as is like putting up roadblocks into like in areas where I thought that I would always, uh, work or play or navigate, you know, and it's like, no, you figured that out. Now go in this direction.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and so yeah, I'm I'm like, oh, it changes.
1: It changes. Yes. Like
0: the things that we thought we'd be looking into forever like,
1: huh. I'm like, so glad. You- jobs. <laughs> yes, but I'm so glad you named that because you know, this was something I, I kind of worked into my book towards the end as I was finishing it. Starhawk, uh, the witch and activist Starhawk. Um, she you know, she says, it's, it comes from a chant, I think, for um, for the spring equinox. Um, but it's, she says that the goddesses change. Everything she touches changes, and she changes everything she touches. Touch is, change is. And so, I, that's oh. another part of the sacred feminine to me is she is the ground beneath our feet, of course, because she's the earth, and she is constantly moving. And so, it isn't like, I think landing with her for me is not like, like I have dogma now and it is this way and I am on this path forever. I feel like she, one of her favorite things to do is to pull the rug out from under me whenever I think I've got a definitive answer <laughs> and be like, have you thought about it this way? Have you tried that? And it's beautiful. you know. It's like a whole different way to experience like the touch of the divine.
0: Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And for me, it's like, oh, you thought you were building this business and you have this like, you know, new website that's not even a year old. Um, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> like, change. Here comes yeah. another wind of change. And um yeah, it's like funny in this moment to um to feel into those habits and patterns of like, well, I'm just gonna establish all of this. I'm going yes. to establish all of this and then I'm going to like, you know, be in it and, and prosper in it. And and she's like,
1: keep going. Yes, well, and I'm just thinking back to what you said on our podcast when you talked about um, I, I use the word balance to talk about sacred feminine and sacred masculine energy, and you said no, I prefer dance, which has stayed with mm. me. But that's what I'm, you know, and I feel like I think about what a what an interesting thing we're we're all trying to do is learn how to follow that dance of constant change. Really, she should always be the lead. Like, why do they make the man the lead? You know, <laughs> it should be her. And then well,
0: uh, that's changing too. <laughs> yeah that is too i was talking with a good friend of mine who's male and um he's with like he's been interacting with a very wise feminine incarnate and um he was saying like but you know where does my wisdom count here and i said to him like you know, you don't get to lead this next part. You know, the men don't get to lead this next part. And he said, I know, I'm just trying to like figure out the template. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. yeah, It's a very, very different kind of leading when we let ourselves listen to that intuition and listen to the heart and like make the decisions like, seeming sometimes seemingly crazy life decisions yes. Yes. um based on you know what she's telling us so yes yes, yes. Yes. Liz, it's so good to be with you. I, I kind of feel like we're just getting started and I want to like pour a cup of tea and keep going. Um,
1: same. So. <laughs> I, I feel the same. I, my heart feels really full. Thank you for this opportunity. This is yeah. so fun.
0: Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for being here. And you can find Liz at um, home hometoher.com mm-hmm. and on Instagram at home to her and um, your book is coming out this week. So um, tell us what else we should know about keeping in touch with you.
1: Yeah. I have a podcast. I release um, episodes every new moon and full moon that you should come and listen to Sarah on there. It was a pretty special (laughs) conversation, but it's all topics on the sacred feminine. And so I love to get into the history as well as um, just different ways that people approach this energetically. One of my favorite things to do is to talk to people who come at this at a completely different angle because I I like it. It challenges me. Um, So you could always listen to that and that's available anywhere you find a podcast. And then I have a Facebook group too. That's, um, it's pretty active. So if you are on Facebook and you want to find some, um, you know, content to come your way, that is sacred, feminine oriented, you can find it there. And that's also called home to her. Wonderful. Well, thank
0: you so much. Thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
0: There is a call inside of women to be in community again. You have been doing so much personal healing work, so much introspection out there on your own, and now you're ready to step into space with others. I feel it too. If you want sacred space that welcomes modern women as they are, that integrates masculine energy with the feminine energy in other words, it's not just a goddess feminine circle, it's a circle of women coming back into union and unity, then the sacred remembering membership is for you. Think of it as a sacred feminine church meets educational library, meets instructional energetic practices, meets healing circle. It's all there and it's all in community. I have pulled together multiple groups of women in the past three years. And what I can tell you is this, there is always purpose and magic to who gathers and why we are soul family. Truly. If you're listening to this, you're soul family. And so the sacred remembering membership community is the next space to step into that tribe. And you're so welcome here. The membership includes an archive of resources, channeled content, teachings, energy activations and so much more. My 3 published ebooks are in this archive, The Divine Mother Architectural Series, My Healing Man and Money Trauma Teachings and more. Also included are live calls twice a month, bonus calls and interviews with experts. And Perhaps the best part, there is a Mighty Networks community where you get to meet one another, share out what you do, ask for help, seek sister guidance, etc. etc. This is for you. I have created it for you, for us. You can join today and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next live call. You can go to sarapoet.com, find the group, and sign up. And we'll see you soon this is sarah poet of embodied breath and thank you so much for listening to today's episode i'm curious what was your biggest takeaway remember that you are not alone on the sacred path and women are rising now together you can visit my website sarahpoet.com for more tools and inspiration to support your sacred remembering path please be sure to check the show notes subscribe to this podcast share with a friend and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts i love to hear from you stay connected and here's to your path of sacred remembering